This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. If we put the needs of others before and above our own needs, it would be a better world, no doubt. If we were just as concerned with other people's needs as our own, of course it would be a better world. But that's not the gospel. That's just a summary of the law. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. You're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. I'm so excited that you're here because through this message and our whole series, Pastor Jeff is hoping that we all have a breakthrough in our understanding of the gospel. To understand that the gospel is not advice, but it's good news. Pastor Jeff is starting in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, which is Paul's letter to the Romans. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans. Romans, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, New Testament, verse 5, and verse 16 through 18, and we'll get to that in a moment. Now, as we start thinking about this, do you know what an epiphany is? You know, it's kind of like when the light bulb comes on, you know, when you've been thinking about something and suddenly something happens and you get it now. Uh, now, bear with me here. You know there's got to be a golf analogy before we get there. There has to be. There absolutely has to be. Because if you know anything about golf, you struggle all your life. You're trying to learn this game. It is a lifelong struggle. But most golfers that be, be, somewhere along the line become good golfers or at least decent golfers have an epiphany. And the epiphany is, I mean, they'll pay a lot of money to get lessons, they'll watch YouTube videos, they'll do whatever they can to get better, but until you have this single epiphany, and any good golfer in the room knows what what I'm talking about here, until you learn that the spine angle has to remain consistent during the entire golf swing, until until you have that epiphany, you really can't go to the next level, because if your spine stays the same level throughout the swing, it forgives a multitude of sins. Okay, that's one example. Here's another example, health. You know, you can work out, and I know you get tired of me talking about this, so I'll make it quick. You can work out, you can run, you can uh, exercise, you can do everything you can as you get older to try to stay fit, but somewhere along the line you have an epiphany that your health and vitality has more to do with what goes inside your body than what you're doing on the outside. And until you have that epiphany, you're never going to feel as good as you could feel until you learn what you put in is what's making the difference. So if you've got a pretty good, uh, healthy, uh, moderation uh, diet, you don't really have to do a lot of exercise to maintain the body that God's given you. And then there's the third thing. The third thing is you have the epiphany in marriage that most men have. Somewhere along the line, you realize if you want to have a happy marriage, you'll just do what you're told. When you have that epiphany, things get a lot easier in marriage. Right, guys? Right, guys? When When you finally get it, things get a lot smooth. Now, here's a pastor's dilemma. One of the things that we struggle with. All pastors, I think, throughout their ministry is things like this. Why are people who are Christ followers not more joyful? 
You know, why are there so many sad faces? Why, when we look out over the church body, weekend after weekend, so often do we see pain and struggle and sometimes detachment? Just completely check out. Now, of course, pastors who have the epiphany realize, hey, if I had a mirror and show myself, I'd see the same thing in me. Sometimes I'm checked out, my mind's somewhere else, I'm depressed. I'm not as happy as I should be. So it's not a judgment call, it's just trying to figure out why is it that we should be the happiest people on planet Earth aren't that happy sometimes. And then here's the real one. If we really believe in the power of prayer, you know, that we pray and God moves and heaven and earth moves, then why is it out of a church of what, five to 8,000 people, can we not get more than 300 people at a prayer night? Now, that, again, that's not a judgment call. That's just, I'm simply saying, if I really believed when I get on my knees together with the people of God and I pray the Spirit of God's going to move and something good's going to happen, you'd think that I could do it once a month. What's going on? You know what? I'm praying hard that you and I will have a breakthrough in this series. That something will happen to you over the next four weeks, and I'm preaching all four sermons, man. This is one of those things I didn't want to share with anybody. We're going through this together. And I think if, if I can help you turn the light on, actually, it's not me. It's what the Apostle Paul wrote in the greatest probably three or four chapters in the Bible outside the Gospels. If somehow I can get this through to you, I believe you can have a breakthrough. And church will no longer become mundane or it won't be something that you feel like you have to do. Your Bible reading won't be such a struggle. Even worship, you want to get plugged in. You want to feel it, but you don't feel anything. I'm hoping that not through my words, but through the power of the Word of God coming to you and your eyes opening, that you'll have an epiphany and suddenly over the next four weeks, your life will never be the same. Now, I know I say that every series. I got it. And so when you say it too much, it's like cry wolf. But when you come to the book of Romans, this has changed thousands upon thousands of people's lives. You know what we're reading now? We're reading the core text of, the, of Protestantism. We're reading, the, we're reading the text that changed Martin Luther, that changed church history forever. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther, the founder of Protestantism, had what we call a tower experience, also defined or titled his conversion experience. Listen to what, as we start the first part of the message, listen to what he wrote many, many years ago. Again, the founder of the beginning of where we are today. He says, I greatly desire to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, but nothing stood in the way more than that one expression, the righteousness of God. I took that to mean the justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that I stood every day before God feeling like a sinner, troubled in conscience, with no confidence that my merit would swage him. Therefore, I did not love a just God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Therefore, night and day I pondered, and then I saw this statement, the righteous shall live by faith. Then I grasped that through gift and pure mercy, God justifies us through faith. I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. When I discovered that distinction that the law is one thing and the gospel is another, I broke through. So Luther says his heart, his mind, and emotions were all transformed because he finally got it. And I'm hoping you'll finally get it. What did he get? You with me? Here's what he got. The gospel is not advice. The gospel is good news. The gospel is not advice. It is good news that most Christ followers 
never really truly get or take hold of, which is why our emotions fluctuate, which is why Bible study is so hard, which is why it's hard to remain connected in church, which is why it's so hard to get excited about the things that associate with our faith. So I want to help you. I want to help you break through. I want to help me break through. I want to help us. And here's the first question. Do you understand that the gospel is good news? The word gospel, evangel. Romans loves this word from two words, angel and herald. In other words, evangel means the news media. Boy, it's bad connotations today, isn't it? When we think of news media today, we think of propaganda. News telling you something they think you ought to hear so that you'll believe what they want you to believe. But in Paul's day, the news media was everything because we didn't have any internet. We didn't have any cell phones. We didn't have any newspapers. And so you would have newsreaders called angels, messengers, that would move from town to town and inform you of what's going on in the empire. So they could announce a defeat or a victory or a tax or a new ordinance. One of my favorite movies of the last 10 years is, is News of the World with Tom Hanks. Now, I don't know if you'd like it. There's not a lot of action in it, but I liked it because of the dialogue. And in it, it's a Western where the character played by Tom Hanks travels from Western town to Western town to read the news. He's a news reader. And as he reads the news, he's reading it because, again, you don't have internet, you don't have newspaper, you don't have telephone, you don't have all the things that you need to hear the news. And so guess what? You have a newsreader and you have a lot of illiterate people in that time. If there were things to read, they couldn't read them. So an angel, an angel, a messenger of God, comes from that word angel, messenger. And if he's an angel, he's good news messenger. We are evangelists because we bring the good news. You with me? The essence of the Christian message is not instruction. The essence of the Christian message is good news. And it's what separates Christianity from all the other religions. All the other religions are good advice and sometimes not that good at all. If you want to be right with God, do this. If you want to meet God, do this. If you want to avoid judgment, do this. But the gospel is not that. The gospel is good news that something has already been done. Do you understand that? It's almost too good to be true. And that's why it's hard for you to grapple with. What really concerns me is if I were a skeptic in our modern age looking from the outside in, and somebody asked me to define the essence of Christianity, I'm afraid that those on the outside would say, oh, Christians, but to be a Christian, you keep these rules. You don't have sex until you're married. You don't get drunk. You can't be gay or a lesbian, and you don't have an abortion, and that means you're a Christian. That's how they would define us. Or they would say, oh, I'll tell you what a Christian is. You have to hold this particular political view and belong to this particular uh, political party, and that means you're a Christian. Or you're a Christian if you stand for these things and you stand against those things. And that's how they identify us. And it's very sad. Now, some of those things are going to be part of the Christian walk, but that's not our definition. It's not our identity. You don't want to be identified as a Christ follower by a position that you hold, by what you are for or against, or by the political party you belong to. Do you understand how utterly different Christianity really is? And if I were to walk up to you and ask you after this service, are you a Christian? And you said something like, well, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to live a good life. You know, I'm trying to be. Try to be what? Try to, what are you trying to be? Live a good life? Do good things? Be nice to people? 
live by the golden rule, incidentally, which I'm all for. I mean, if we treated each other, if we did unto others as we would have them do unto us, it'd be a better world for sure. If we put the needs of others before and above our own needs, it would be a better world, no doubt. If we were just as concerned with other people's needs as our own, of course it would be a better world. But that's not the gospel. That's just a summary of the law. The law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in your neighbor as yourself. That's not the gospel. That's a summary of the law of God. That's not the good news. That doesn't announce something that's been done for you. It's not the news that makes you so happy and joyful that you actually do begin to love your neighbor as yourself. Now follow me. We got to build this thought. This got to go deep in if we ever have a breakthrough. You know, my brothers and I got three of them. We fought like cats and dogs. I've, I've said this before. I don't know how my poor mother survived. We threw baseball bats at each other. We smacked each other in the face with ping pong paddles. We threw knives at each other. I mean, we, I don't know how she survived. I remember my mom saying numerous times, behold how they love one another. That cut right to the heart. But interesting thing happened. The day before Christmas, we always got along. I don't know why. Or at least I didn't at the moment. We were nice to each other, patting each other on the back because the announcement of Christmas, that Christmas was coming and we knew we were going to get all these gifts and all these cookies and food. For some reason, the announcement of that good news, just for a moment in time, made us relate to each other incredibly differently than any other time of year. It literally changed our attitudes toward each other. Something momentous has happened outside of you, for you, which catalyzes so much joy in you that you live a totally different life. Did you hear that? Keep going. This year, I, as most years, I don't. The, the Masters is the you know, most watched golf tournament on the planet. And it happens in April, the week of Easter or the week before usually. And I love to watch it. It's, it's the only golf tournament I try to watch all four rounds completely, but it's kind of difficult for me to watch on Saturday and Sunday because I'm kind of busy. <laughs> and so I always record it, but it never fails. Someone always lets the cat out of the bag and I know who won. But this year I didn't mind because Scotty Scheffler won the Masters. And Scotty Scheffler is one of the leaders on the PGA Tour Bible study. And I didn't even care. It made watching the Masters that much more enjoyable to know the guy that I really wanted to win won. And I started thinking about that. How would you live your life if you knew you had already won life's ultimate battle? You've already won it. How would it affect you if somebody else had given you such a precious gift that now no matter what happens in your life, you will not lose? How would that change the way you live? First test question. Is the gospel mainly about you or mainly about Jesus and what he's done? Guys, don't, don't check out of this one. Not this one. If you want to have a breakthrough, if you want to know what's missing, it's right here. Is the gospel mainly about you or mainly about Jesus and what he's done? Is it about you, what you're doing, what you have to do and how good you are? Or is it about God and what he's already done and how good he has been to you? So first, do you understand the gospel is good news? Second, do you understand the gospel relies on somebody else's power, not yours? In that wonderful passage that has changed the world millions of times over, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And I always stop here. Whose power is it? Who? So it's not yours, right? The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Whose righteousness? Whose power? Okay, so it's not your power. It's not your righteousness. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That's from first person to last person. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Jesus has done something. And this has been discussed for thousands of years. This is what changes the heart. This is what changes the mind. This is what changes the way you live. Until you get this, there can be no breakthrough. And your faith will be laborious. It'll be a hassle to you. Martin Luther said, I hated a just God. He knows he can't measure up and neither can you. But in the gospel is revealed the fact that Jesus has done something so that when God looks at you, do you realize in spite of everything that's wrong with you, us, God regards you differently now. You didn't change. He did something in spite of who you are so that the Father now looks at you and loves you and delights in you, accepts you before he just tolerated you, but now he adores you. Do you know the difference? He looks at you and he adores you, not because of your character, but because of his. Not because you did something, but because he's done something. Something happened outside of us to change God's relationship to us. And the question is, what is that? Now, folks, if you want to have a breakthrough, you got to get this. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. Some of you come from a church background, including this one. You've been stuck in this for a long time. And insanity, you do the same thing, expecting a different result, not ever going to change. You got to have a breakthrough. And to do that, you got to understand that the gospel is more than just forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness of sin is good. It's like banana pudding. You can never get enough of it. But here is what far too many people think. They think that salvation is Jesus forgives me when I sin. Now, that's a good thing. As they say in New Zealand, sweet as. That's sweet to know that Jesus forgives me when I sin. I'll never forget the look on those Rwanda prisoners when I told them if they would give God all their sin, he would give them all their forgiveness. I had to say it like 40 times before they really believed it. But once they did, I saw the looks on their faces. However, that is far less than what the gospel gives. He doesn't simply forgive you in your sin, folks. He forgives you infinitely. And he treats you as though you've never sinned. Do you understand that? Do you understand that's what justified means? My theology professor in seminary got a piece of chalk, went to the blackboard, and looked at all of us students after we'd gone through this detail after detail of Romans 1 through 3. And he said, let me sum it up for you. And he wrote the word justified, only hyphenated it out. And he said, justified means God looks at you just as if I'd never sinned. Do you know God looks at you as you've never sinned? But wait, there's more. This popular show, NCIS, uh, Naval Criminal Investigation Services. Charles Durning, famous actor, he, he's been in everything. I mean, he was in Everybody Loves Raymond. He was in one of my favorite movies, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But he was in NCIS and he played a role in the movie or the, the drama of a poor, broken down Marine who had had a very tough life, confined now to a wheelchair. But now he's accused of murder. Very dramatic scene. And these smug lawyers, smug young lawyers walk in and they're treating him with ill treatment. The MPs come in to arrest him because he's been charged with murder. And then the old man, played by Charles Durning, the old man's lawyer reaches down and moves his tie to the side. And underneath the tie is the Congressional Medal of Honor, at which point the MPs stand erect, salute, out of respect because they know what that medal means. He had been in Iwo Jima. 
And he had shown this incredible courage and valor and sacrifice for his fellow man. Listen, when you understand the good news for the first time, and you can be in church all your life and never get it, Yes, you understand your sins are forgiven. Yes, you understand you're justified. God treats you just as if you'd never sinned. Yes, your forgiveness is infinite. But did you also know that when God sees you, he sees you as his son or daughter? And he's a great father. He doesn't just pardon you. He credits all the things of your elder brother, Jesus, to your account. You are treated as though you have the Congressional Medal of Honor and all heaven salutes you. Do you understand that's the gospel? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Does that mean God made Jesus sin? Listen carefully, please. Hang on every line here. Does it mean that God made Jesus sin? No, God didn't put sin into Jesus' heart. I mean, Jesus was loving his father even when his father was turning his face away in the garden. The meaning is this, that Jesus was given the treatment our sins deserve. He took all the sins, yours, and put them on the back of Jesus Christ and treated Jesus as though he were us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Now, usually we stop there. Okay, cool story, but that's not where the passage starts because it says, so that in him, you and I can become the righteousness of God. We can become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Well, can I tell you? God's righteousness to me would seem pretty impressive. Don't you think? You know? And I've seen your life and mine, and we don't look that righteous. But, but the Bible said that we've become the righteousness of God. But I've seen your Facebook post and your parking lot behavior. And the way you drive on the 210, the 57, and the 10 with the one and all bumper sticker. And let's not even talk about your reading and viewing habits. I've seen your lives. I've seen my own life. And I got to tell you, if we have the righteousness of God, God's got some issues. We just don't appear to have the righteousness of God because that's why we're thinking about it pragmatically. But there's more than one way to be righteous. You can be pragmatically righteous or you can be judicially righteous. You can be righteous by keeping the law perfectly, which no man does, or you can be righteous by paying the penalty, which no man wants to because the wages of sin is death. But Christ paid our penalty for us so that when God looks at you, guess what he does? Thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, Christ's righteousness is credited to your account. Do you understand what that means? He treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated. He treats us the way Jesus deserves to be treated. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him might become the righteous. We might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was given the treatment we deserve. We are given the treatment he deserves. We are covered with his medals and the whole universe salutes us. I love the look on your faces right now. Yeah, it's almost offensive to you, isn't it? Because I know what you're all thinking. What? I can do anything I want and I'm, you know, I can just go. You're missing the point. You are covered with, with the righteousness of God. All that we deserve went on him. All that he deserves goes on us. Therefore, God actually delights in us. He doesn't just tolerate you. When you bend your knee, when you go to God in prayer, he doesn't see a sinner. No, 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 no. He sees a son and a daughter of God whose righteousness of his very son Christ has been placed on you. He delights. 
in you when you pray. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. The gospel is not just advice. It's good news. The gospel is not just forgiveness, but you are forever clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All that he deserves has been put on you and all the heavens stand and salute. You realize that? Think about Jesus. All of what he has done, all the honor and glory that is rightly due him, God, places it on you. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.